I'm Dr. Jamie Byrne and I am a clinical psychologist. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Dr. Dave Demmer, also a clinical psychologist. I use he, him pronouns. And hi, hi, hi. I'm Dr. Tom Dixon, your genderqueer GP. He, they pronouns. And here we are today. We're going to be looking at a Q who is struggling with her own anxiety and how she's going to support someone who's struggling with their mental health. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, I'm Q. Hi, hi, hi. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Meet Q podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So who's excited for Melbourne summer? I feel that the city always comes alive during summer in Melbourne. Like we've yeah. got the tennis, you've got like kind of the final, the grand finals already been. Like I'm not, <laughs> gonna, I'm not going to endorse yeah. the um, kind of spring racing. We've carnival. got AFLW. We've got mm. the AFLW. You've got cricket. beaches. But it's such a, I feel like panic as I come towards the end of the year. I'm just like, are we seriously like in November already? Mm. Yeah. I, I, I just feel panic. I love it because Christmas comes up and Christmas oh is the most magical God, time. It's over yeah. clients for oh January. God. Are you a five-year-old? <laughs> I love Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I'm on my birthdays. It was your birthday recently, wasn't mm, it? Yeah, last month. Yeah. 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 I don't celebrate any holidays. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's meet you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Q. I'm a 35-year-old female in a relationship with another woman. My partner has got some pretty serious mental health issues and she's just got out of hospital. I feel like I'm constantly on edge. She gets really angry at me and I'm always walking on eggshells. I've always struggled with anxiety, but there seems to be no space in the relationship for me and my difficulties. I want to work on our relationship, but I worry she can only focus on her own mental health and I feel guilty for wanting to work on me or the relationship. This sounds really familiar to me. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, what an, in, like, what an interesting perspective to what we're usually talking about on the show. Right. Um, where Q is kind of the support system. Obviously, Q's going through some of her own stuff. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, it sounds like her main worry is being the support system to someone else yeah. with their mental health. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And like that kind of caught between two worlds of I want to kind of have a beautiful relationship with the partner I love yeah. and equally them not necessarily being able to kind of come to that kind of mm. place. There's a lot of guilt, right? Yeah. I like, I hear this and I feel, I feel like a lot of guilt, like, oh, I feel like there's some need not being met for me that I'm not allowed to experience the stuff that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I feel really bad that I'm having a thought about myself given what my partner's going through. Yeah. Like that, oh, I'm not sick enough, I'm not unwell enough to take up space. The invalidation mm. that we can sometimes do to ourselves. Right, yeah. yeah. Like it's a really challenging thing and I think a lot of it, all, it's almost a universal truth that we've supported someone who's going through hard times, whether it be mental health or yeah. physical health conditions or mm -hmm. grief or all sorts of different other things. And I think we all get stuck in terms of what can we do? Mm. Like we get so fixated often on this idea that, okay, if I do this, it'll make the other person feel better. Mm. Or it'll give them the information that they can kind of then use to get better. Mm. And it's so often not the case because ultimately as someone who is not their treating professional, whether it be their psychologist, whether it be their doctor, whether it be their 
um, kind of midwife, all sorts of different health professions, and then kind of outside of that as well. But if we're not fulfilling that job because we're not a professional in that space yeah. and we're a loved one, yeah. often the only thing we can do is be there. Yeah. It's tricky though, isn't it, to sit in this space where we want things to change for them. Yeah. We want things to yeah. be better. We want to be able to help them, but maybe we just don't have the answers. And I think this is where, you know, particularly within mental health as mental health professionals, we are taught so to sit with and yeah. validate and yeah. support and yeah. empathize yeah. before any change is really even yeah. possible for someone. Before someone can change, they need to feel heard and understood. Absolutely. And I'm going to like kind of do an OG call out here to Brene Brown um, <laughs> because uh, there's a fabulous YouTube clip called Sympathy Versus Empathy yeah. um, by Brene uh, and it really highlights your point there, Dave, which is the empathy is sitting with someone in the emotion because we've tapped mm. into that emotion ourselves and we're letting it just sit and we're validating it by kind of not trying to solve it or not trying to silver line mm, it. Mm. Because often I think uh, what someone who's experiencing that emotion as their kind of primary um, is experiencing is if someone tries to solve it or silver lining it, they're just hearing, oh, have you thought of this? Mm. Or you must be stupid mm. if you haven't mm. thought of this. That writing reflex. Yeah, yeah, this like notion of like, oh, like how, like how have you not thought of this yeah. obvious answer? Yeah. Mm. And the truth of the matter is that that person probably has thought of lots of different answers to the questions that they're asking themselves, but what for whatever reason they can't move through that. And the most connecting experience we can have is actually to sit with them in empathy. Yeah. 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 I always, when I hear Q's story, <laughs> I think of someone who told me about the spoonfuls, how many spoonfuls of emotional energy that we have, which I think is really important for us as well as healthcare providers, right? That we have kind of like a limited amount of resources of giving to other people. And if we keep giving away spoonfuls of energy, spoonfuls of energy, spoonfuls of energy, th eventually there's nothing left in the jar. You mean right? Mary Poppins' bag does have a bottom to it? It does, right? But then, like, the effect that this can have on Q trying to support her partner, mm. it's just horrible, right? Mm. Um, I'm trying my best not to swear and I'm not doing a great job. Jamie got a wrap over the knuckles in the last recording. I know. When I get passionate, I swear. It's a thing. I have a potty mouth. <laughs> but when I think about Q, I really, really feel for her here because, like, I want to help her to say it's okay for you to have needs in this yeah. relationship. It's okay for you to not be okay. And it's also okay for you not to be um, like this myth, just like I think about like good enough parenting, right? This idea that you can't be perfect all the time. Mm. There are going to be times that you are fed up. Yeah, there are going to be times that you're going to be pissed off and that's also okay. And uh, that this guilt that I'm really hearing coming out of this case I just, I just want to support you through this. I just want to make sure yeah. that you're feeling heard and that you've got space for your emotions. What I'm hearing there, Jamie, is a lot of like kind of recognizing your own boundaries. You got it. And I think it's like you're the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? No, um, I'm not. Uh, but it's very much like I think compassion requires boundaries. Um, yeah. Because to be able to maintain compassion, to be able to maintain our ability to be there for the people that we love yeah. or that we kind of are connected with, um, we need to make sure that we've got boundaries that protect us. 
I get asked this a lot, um, how, you know, how are you a psychologist? You know, how do you deal with the weight of what clients are telling you? And I think one of the most important things that I've ever got along my training was to be reminded of one of our ethics principles, which is around autonomy and really respecting the fact that a client has a right to their own autonomy and their own agency in their life. Um, And that's really tough in a relationship because you want to be a supportive partner. You want to do your best to help. And sometimes in helping, we might step over and step into someone else's boundaries and not trust them to help themselves. Mm. Um, And I remind myself of that as a clinician. I do the best that I can with that client that I might be seeing in that hour. But then I've got to respect they've got to go on and lead their life for the rest of the week, the rest of the fortnight. And I've done the best that I can. And I think as well within Q, within a relationship, maybe that's something that she could remind herself of, that she can't live her partner's life. Her partner has to live her own life and you can be the best partner that you can be. Um, But at the end of the day, your partner needs to live her own life. There's something that I'm picking up in this case as well that I'm kind of curious about and I'm picking up glimpses of it and maybe it's not completely there, but it's ringing true for me. And so I want to kind of talk about it, which is this idea of um, kind of as family uh, and, and, you know, friends and partners uh, around someone who's struggling and not just with mental health, but also with kind of medical and, and physical health stuff as well how kind of informed we get to be. We have a really overriding principle in in psychology and mental health, which is confidentiality. Mm. Um, It is really probably, I would say, our guiding principle and it's important and and it needs to be there. But it also means that there's kind of some uh, difficult situations that can happen for loved ones around an individual who's struggling with the mental health who might not be informed um, uh, or might not have kind of a full understanding that basically they don't always necessarily get all the information that might be helpful for them to understand what's going on for their loved one who's struggling. Um, And I'm not saying that that principle should not stand or should change, but I'm saying these are kind of the outcomes and and the negative outcomes of something like confidentiality, which is so bloody important. Yeah. And that can even be without like a health professional being involved Mm -hmm. because the person that's experiencing the pain, whether it be um, emotional, physical, or psychological, might not want or have the words to actually express Mm -hmm. um, their thought patterns because their thought patterns might be so disordered, for Mm -hmm. example. And so we can only ever kind of go off what someone's doing as well as what someone's saying, but that may still not be the whole picture of what Mm -hmm. someone's internal thought process is. Like, I don't think I ever want someone to actually kind of be able to read my mind because like it can be like kind of a very tumultuous place. (laughs) And so like, that's not what comes out of my mouth, though, the majority mm. of the time. I think this is one of the kind of the missing pieces within healthcare is, you know, how healthcare communicates with the loved ones and how healthcare yep. communicates to the ones who then care after the healthcare system mm. isn't involved in supporting mm. an individual mm. anymore. Once someone is, you know, discharged from hospital, like, mm. you know, accused mm. partners mm. being discharged from hospital, are we mm. sure that there is now a, a level of information that's been provided to Q that she can be the helpful, loving partner that she clearly wants to be. Mm. Um, And I think that's just a broader issue within healthcare. hundred percent. I think it's um, very much we need to educate our carers um, Mm. of like boundary setting of their abilities um, to not be a treating partner in this um, kind of therapeutic relationships, whether it's with one kind of psychologist or whether it's with Mm. the whole team, Mm. um, the carer is not a kind of treatment kind of modality within that team. They're a caring modality. Can I say something that might be a little bit contentious? When I listen to Q, I kind of feel compelled to say to Q that this is her partner. She's not a carer. Mm. (laughs) Now, 
sometimes that relationship might change and she might step into a uh, legally a financially supported caring position, mm. but that doesn't sound like where we are, mm. yeah. And Q's just allowed to be a partner, not a carer. And that distinction feels really, really important here. Yeah. Mm. The thought that I had then was carve out some space for yourself, Q, that you're allowed to not be okay just like your partner yeah. is allowed to not be okay. And I think you're drawing on a really important point there, Jamie, of like kind of making sure that um, Q is really cognizant of their own needs. Right, yeah. Whether someone's a carer or not, I think, uh, will depend on the person and how they want to use that definition. But um, mm. it's very much making sure that they're giving them space, yeah. themselves space, yeah. uh, for kind of their needs and their needs as a partner as well. And, like, when we think about partnerships, it's not kind of a lopsided one um, traditionally uh, when one person takes all the time and the other person gives all the time. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here yeah. with Q, but it's something that like an extreme could be the situation that they could lead to. And this might be my own schemas, um, but I do sometimes wonder, I often have clients say, oh, I can't lean on a friend because they've got this going on and they've got that going on, right? This is a really, really common thing that I hear. And I often... I might prompt the question, have you ever had a lot going on and someone's come to you for support and it feels like a relief because finally you get to help someone else rather than be consumed with what's going on for you, right? This idea of going, I wonder whether you might actually be depriving your partner of an opportunity to care for you and that reciprocation by not feeling like you could share your vulnerability with her right now. Dave, I know that you work with couples. How, how would you be working with Q if she were to present? Yeah, so Q's kind of talking here about maybe there isn't space actually for them to be able to work on the relationship. And I'm a pretty firm believer that you can work on both at the same time. Yeah. Um, and quite often that's what needs to happen. You know, I'd like to think that any couples therapist worth their salt if they're working with a couple and recognize that actually there's individual work that also needs to happen for one of the people or, or many of the people in the relationship that they would refer that to happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I actually think that there can be a lot of benefit about working on both at the exact same time rather than kind of ordering that we need to get our, our own individual mental health in line before we can then move on to focusing on uh, improving the relationship through therapy. I actually think it's, it can be really wonderful to do it both at the same yeah. time because yeah. really at what point is our mental health, you know, quote unquote, perfect for us right. to then turn our attention to When's the relationship the right what's what's the what's the mechanism or measurement there i've always had perfect mental health i can't comment <laughs> yeah but do you know what i mean also like there's that thing of sometimes our own personal mental health can feel so insurmountable mm. that maybe there's like this sense of mastery that we might get through yeah. having this really positive experience mm. that might then have flow-on effects to our mm. own individual mental health mm. like because if our relationship's good how can that not help Help the individual mental health. Absolutely. And we can also like kind of learn, like everyone knows the fact that some people are visual learners, some people are like kind of tactile learners, it's a, um, some people are like oral. Um, but equally, if we're kind of learning something because we're learning it as part of a team or a partnership, mm. um, we might then be able to apply those same kind of learnings to our own individual health here. Mm. I think the other, the other difficulty here is, I don't know about you, Jamie, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, that uh, 
it's not uncommon to get a client who comes in for individual therapy mm. where you're like, this is a relational issue. Mm. Like, mm. you know, this really needs to be a relationship counselling approach here without your partner in the room. There's only so much traction that we mm. can actually make um, because, you know, couples therapy is about supporting the relationship, like yeah. the dynamic between the people within the relationship as opposed to individuals. Uh, and if the, it's the relationship and the relationship dynamic is where the difficulty lies, doing one-on-one -on -one therapy with an individual from that relationship just can only be so effective. Mm. So I think one of the things here is that um, we've talked about like kind of how we would approach it from a relationship perspective. We'd talk about how we approach it if we're supporting someone. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important here as well to point out that Q can actually focus on their own anxieties because they've kind of raised their anxiety here. And yes, it's somewhat in relationship um, to their kind of partner, but equally like they can kind of focus on themselves and kind of better understanding and gaining insight around their own mental health. And that's not selfish. No. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something that we so often kind of do to ourselves where we say, oh, I can't, like my pain isn't as significant as someone else's pain. Yeah. And so therefore it's not worthy yeah. of attention. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, <laughs> I love that line. Um, and so kind of I'd be encouraging Q here to remind themselves of what does spark joy, of where yeah. they can um, kind of find their recharging and like kind of giving themselves back some of those spoonfuls. Um, and equally, if there is something more that there's kind of a really negative anxiety or worry there that they're not able to kind of uh, work through themselves, kind of seeking their own supports for that, um, whether that be professionally or kind of um, outside of the relationship. Yeah, I think I'm reminded of the phrase, you know, you can't clap with one hand, right? Well, you can. But I mean, like, it's a pretty, this is me clapping into the microphone. I'm a clapper. Um, ASMR. Yeah. So I often think about this idea that within a relationship dynamic, you know, talking today's point about wanting to bring both partners into the room, I kind of saying, you know, to both Q and her partner, Q's mental health is important not just for Q but for the relationship and for mm. the other person in the relationship as well. Mm. And from that perspective, Q and her partner need to ensure that everyone is being looked after. By the way, I'd be saying this to Q even if she wasn't experiencing her own mental health difficulties, even if she wasn't experiencing her own anxiety, mm. is that she's also allowed to have needs. Mm. She's allowed... Um, to have joy in her life. And that's really, really hard if your partner's not well to experience joy and happiness because you feel guilty. Yeah. I don't well, I don't know about you guys, but guilt's something that I'm pretty familiar with as an emotion, mm. right? That I'm just like, oh, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to maybe uh, I don't know, is guilt something you guys know a lot about as well? Yes, it marries very well to shrine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but equally I think it's uh, that kind of we get so fixated on whatever like the biggest baddest wolf um is in the room right um, and we fail to see the three little pigs next to it which are kind of giggling in hilarity um i don't know why that was a fairy tale reference but it was um but it's that idea essentially that when we get so fixated on one thing it ultimately kind of does drain us completely yeah. and we can't kind of recognize yeah. um the wood through the trees yeah um because we kind of fail to see that our needs are valid mm, and mm, it's mm. very much this kind of 
guilt because we kind of want to kill the big bad wolf, mm. but equally that's not something within our wheelhouse of kind mm. of capacity mm. or ability. Um, and so we neglect our own needs and ultimately we come crashing down like the house of straw. There's also some other points that I want to make about um, how do we help the supports, like who supports the supports. Um, uh, So, you know, I don't know about you, Jamie, but um, something I try to tell people um, is don't Google your partner's symptoms and particularly (laughs) don't Google your partner's diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has cancer or a psychotic illness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are certain, you know, particularly certain personality disorders that when you Google them, the information- It scares the crap out of you. Yeah. The information that comes up about them is is just awful and derogatory and, um, you know, so far removed from most people's experience. Do you mean that the internet isn't full of like kindness, happiness? and joy and accuracy yeah and accuracy no it's not um so it's okay to seek out information from healthcare professionals again it's not about breaking confidentiality but where i'm saying is if you want information then you want to get them from trusted sources um you know otherwise it's it's um uh, it can be pretty terrifying if you're jumping on dr google alternative facts Mm. (laughs) maybe maybe another kind of treatment source as well if q's if i don't know if q's really thinking about her partner it sounds like her partner might be quite well supported maybe within well, one, I'd wa- if this was my partner, I'd want to make sure that she is getting appropriate support, that she has her own. A professional support. Yeah, professional yeah. support that she is getting. That that would make me feel better as a partner to make mm-hmm. sure that she's being looked after, especially coming out of hospital, right? And then I might ask my partner, would you like me to join you in a session? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can I best support you? And I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And then that way I could get some factual information from mm-hmm. my partner's and clinician. You're also empowering the partner there to actually have some autonomy about their treatment and their involvement yep. of their partner, yeah. which yeah. is incredibly connecting for the relationship. And it's quite common that I'll have um, uh, family members, yeah. partners, you know, even sometimes yeah. close friends I don't in work sessions. with couples and I'll do that as well, yeah, a single in, session. That's right. Some that yeah. even talk about couples Therapy. I'm talking about, you know, individual mm. therapy mm. and have a loved one come in to either, um, uh, you know, it's usually for two, one of two reasons. One is to have the client um, have a supportive space to be able to talk to yeah. whoever that yeah. person is and to tell them something yeah. or to have that other person come in to help me um, ex- uh, help the client express what's going yeah. on for them and yeah. for the individual to understand. What's really good to uh, to know, though, is you know I make sure the client understands that confidentiality still exists within that context, yeah. Yeah. and we have a really clear discussion about what is okay to yeah. talk about with that person, that yeah. their partner there, and what is not okay yeah. to talk about with yeah. their partner there. And yeah. I think that's kind of something really, um, uh, really scary. And also at the beginning of all of those sessions, I always let the visiting person know, uh, just let so you know from the beginning, this isn't some scary intervention, and you're about to get <laughs> flogged with some sort of information that you're not aware of. Yeah. This is just an episode of being able to um, help you understand. Yeah. I really like that technique as well, Dave. Um, And it's something that's incredibly useful because like, I'm sure it's the same in psychology sessions that like kind of the majority of information or kind of discussion that you have with your patient um, or client, uh, they don't retain 100% of it verbatim and so having a support person there especially when it's something that you're asking that person to kind of do some intervention around or you're wanting kind of to make sure that they're kind of really an understanding about can be incredibly useful to have that support person Mm. to make sure that they can then go and have that discussion with someone else in Mm. future in a supported way where both people are on the exact same page because they've heard the information the same it's interesting isn't it like 
you actually do that a lot in medicine. Yeah. You know, in like, uh, you know, medical settings where medical practitioners will actually say, hey, it might be good to bring a loved one uh, yeah. with you um, to, you know, maybe a diagnostic session, maybe with an oncologist, whatever it might be, to help retain that type of information. We don't do that yeah. in therapy. We don't do that in psychology. Speak for yourself. <laughs> no, but uh, like, I, I think that I do. Not as a matter of course, though. Yeah, but I, I sorry, I, I was being glib there, but I do leverage the partnership there. So, mm. like, for example, if I've set homework, like gratitude journaling, mm. or for example, uh, you know, if I might have a gender diverse ha- client having surgery, and I might, and they say, oh, I'm really bad at rehab, and I'm like, mm. well, how are you going to work on dilation? Sorry to get super technical. I might have a client say, well, my partner's really good at that stuff. So I'm going to, you know, sit with my partner and I'm going to leverage right, my yeah. partner. So I'll, I'll use that kind of mm. what the partner's good at. Because I, way, yeah. Yeah. I also really like it um, for the person at the centre of that care, the patient for me, um, being able to kind of explain it to their loved one yeah. and mm. know that they have that support of me in the room mm. um, if they forget something or, because yeah. ultimately it means like as a learning experience and kind of treatment engagement that they really um, kind of know what they're and they feel empowered doing what they're kind of wanting to do. Mm. Um, So it's really kind of amplifying that autonomy and agency that that person has as well, um, as well as kind of creating a much uh, bigger team around them. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, the healthcare system, you know, hopefully it's wonderful, has its flaws, but also, you know, care starts in the home, you know, it takes a village. It's not just about us, our professionals. Like imagine if everybody was able to validate, Jamie. Like, imagine if everybody oh. out there had the ability Neither to be of you would have a job. validate. No. Yeah, we, how many fewer clients we would need to right. see. Yeah. yeah, I'd have open books again. <laughs> yeah, you know, with everything that we've discussed here, I, I've just kind of wanted to really circle back to Q and this permission for her to explore what's going on. And... I kind of hear because of maybe a little bit of self-sacrificing that she's not allowed to, you know, have her feelings and all the rest, that she might be trying to suppress her anxiety. Yeah, like I I made the comment before, maybe anxiety is not big enough compared to whatever her partner's going through. I want to reassure you, if you are trying to push down your anxiety, if you're trying to ignore it, if you're trying to, you know, shove it down into a tiny little box and put a bow and, you know, send it off to Amazon, that anxiety is going to come back with a vengeance. It doesn't, if it worked, I would be the first person saying, you just got to push harder. Mm. If it worked, Mm. I don't think you would have written in here. Yeah. Mm. Um, So we've got to let room for that to breathe. We've got to let it out. And you've got to allow yourself to have support. You've got to allow yourself to have the techniques to help you with this. And that is the best way that you can help yourself and also probably help your partner. All right, gang, final thoughts. Dr. Tom, hit it. And I am stealing from Dr. Jamie (laughs) in saying that comparison here is the thief of joy. I think comparison like really kind of puts a sting in anyone experiencing hardship or difficult times because um, when we kind of, I'm sure we've all been told uh, about those problematic and derogatory ads of the 90s and 2000s of like the starving child in Africa if we didn't finish our meal at the dinner table. Um, When we compare ourselves to other people who are equally experiencing pain, um, not only do we diminish ours, but we assume something about theirs and 
it doesn't invalidate our own pain because pain is not relative. It is a personal experience that is uniquely yours and all pain deserves, whether it's physical, um, emotional or mental, um, they all deserve uh, support and care. Mm. Tom's final monologue. (laughs) I got the soapbox out. Look, my final thought is just to reiterate this idea of um, it's okay for us to sit with, validate, empathise, care for, provide support for without having to have solutions around change for people in our Mm. lives. Mm. Um, Because as I said before, change isn't going to happen unless someone has felt heard in the first place. Mm. Um, No one is expecting for you to fly into solution with Mm. with your loved ones. If we can just hear them Mm. and care for them and be with them, that's often enough. Dave, I'm going to roll off you because I hear cue all of that focus heading towards your partner, but I also hear something in your story where you may be not allowing enough space for yourself and mm. enough space for that experience that you're having. Um, and I want to say that you're allowed to be experiencing um, the feelings that you're experiencing. It's allowed to be there, right? Um, and the best way that you can help yourself, help your relationship and help your partner, all three of them, um, is to give yourself the support. So I really thank you for taking this step and writing in. Oh, all right. I feel, yeah, <laughs> I got a little sappy, but, you know, I really, I really hear a lot of mm. what you're saying here. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Lovely. All right, guys. Right. You take care. See ya. You too. Bye. <laughs> BQ is brought to you by Q Psychology, Melbourne's leading private psychology practice for the LGBTQIAP community. Q is a fictional character. Any similarities to a specific person are coincidental and are due to Q representing common mental health difficulties experienced by members of the queer community. Any advice provided by the presenters is general in nature and should not replace specific and individualised mental health support that might be needed. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 13 11 14. Rainbow Door is available on 1800 729 367, 10am to 5pm, seven days a week. And Q Life is available on 1800 184 527, 3pm to midnight every day. Please visit the Meet Q website at www meetqpodcast.com for further specific LGBTQIAP plus mental health resources. 